filler in business books and audiobooks takes up time that you don't have. You're here because you want the golden nuggets from each book without all the BS. The more you learn, the more power you have to affect the world around you. This is the Cut the Crap Podcast. Never read a book again. And here's your host, Ryan Calajuri. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where week after week I make sure you never have to read a business book again, because I'm doing all that dirty work for you. Guys, if you want the summaries from each episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, go to cutthecrappodcast.com and sign up for the weekly summaries. I'll make sure those are in your inbox every single Monday. And I know, I know, we've had an issue with the emails actually the past couple of weeks. Uh, thank you so much to everybody who sent me an email and let me know that uh, you weren't receiving the emails. Some of you guys were receiving them, others weren't. So I'm going to make sure that all of you guys got the previous week's um, uh, summaries. But again, if you want to get all the previous week's summaries, all you got to do is log on to CutTheCrapPodcast.com and you have access to all of them. I've also made a change to the summaries as well to you guys. I know how much you guys liked the one-page mind maps, and I got some feedback saying that people like the one-pagers. So I'm going to do you guys a favor, and I'm going to condense every single episode from here on out into one page. It's a challenge, but I'm going to do it. So guys, log on and let me know what you guys think. If you guys like them, if you hate them, let me know either way. All right, so what do we got going on this week? This week we have a book by John Warrilow called Built to Sell. Now, Built to Sell details key strategies for growing a small service-based business. And the story itself, it really focuses around preparing a business for sale. Now, I'm not really all that interested in preparing a business for sale, but I am interested in some of the golden nuggets that were used to help grow this service-based company. Now, the story is told in a very unique fashion. It's told from a story perspective, very similar to The Wealthy Barber. Uh, in this one, we have the uh, individual Alex Stapleton. He owns a marketing agency, and he gets some really sound, solid advice from his friend, Ted Gordon, who's a successful entrepreneur. So the golden nuggets that I'm sharing with you today are some of the success tips that Ted Gordon shared with Alex. So guys, I took three away from Built to Sell. I hope you guys enjoy these golden nuggets. I hope you can take something away from them. So why don't we crack right into this bad boy? Golden nugget number one, specialize in one single service, not many services. If you run a service-based business, chances are you're going to want to provide an assortment of services to ensure you have a broad spectrum of offerings to present to your marketplace. In fact, that's the majority of service-based businesses. They have a lot of services they present to the marketplace. Well, according to Warrilo, that's the wrong approach. The reason it's the wrong approach is that a focus on one service allows the marketplace, allows your clients to see your core strengths, and it makes it easier for you to market and sell yourself as true experts in a very specific area. By specializing, you're also able to command a much higher rate because you're a specialist. People don't pay premiums to generalists. They pay premiums to specialists. We talked about this in a previous episode of Cut the Crap Podcast as well too, the importance of being a specialist. You don't pay somebody to come in and finish your business who's a generalist. You get somebody who specializes in finishing basements to come and finish your basement. Why? Because you feel safer. That's what they do. They finish basements. So you want to make sure you're getting the right person who knows exactly what they're doing because you don't want somebody who's a generalist coming in and making a whole bunch of mistakes. So here's another benefit to specializing. It's much easier to hire people if you're a firm that specializes in a single area. If you provide multiple services, you have to hire multiple experts in multiple fields. 
That creates a lot of complexity and a lot more work for a service-based business, especially if you're a small business. All right, so there's one thing that I noticed from this golden nugget. First off, it's not all that insightful. Let's be honest here. That's foundational knowledge. We all know that. We all know that we need to specialize. We all know that we need to pick a niche. Remember, pick a niche, you get rich. We all know it's best to have one area specialty, but yet so many professional service firms ignore this fact. Why? Again, they feel that if they have more to offer, they will be better off, but it's just not true. Specialize in one area. Market yourself like crazy in that one area and build a strong reputation for yourself in that one area. Now, for me as a sales and marketing guy, the one thing that stands out is just how broad your marketing will have to be if you're generalist. I've worked with an assortment of different professional service firms who do all kinds of things. And the challenge there is that they're talking about so many different things through social media, through their email marketing, that it's really tough to go deep in one area. It really is tough. If you want to be successful, don't go a mile wide and an inch deep. Some of the most successful service-based firms that I know go the complete opposite. They go an inch wide and a mile deep. That to me is one of the most important pieces here. Sales and marketing is such an important component to driving growth for any organization. And if you have a multitude of different services, it's really tough for you to focus in on one particular product or one particular service and really go deep in that area without ignoring the other ones. A lot of the times you want to market and sell all of them equally and you just can't do that. It's really, really tough to do that, especially when you have limited resources and limited time. So the biggest takeaway from this one, specialize in one single service area, not many different service areas. And I know it's tough. I know it's tough. The one thing that you really got to focus on is pick your breadwinner. Pick the one that's going to make you guys the most money. Pick the one service that you think there's going to be the most demand for in the future and go gangbusters on that one. Go sell and market that one and hopefully that one just outgrows the rest of your service areas and eventually you can focus on this one. Now, that's kind of simplistic because I don't know all of your business models. I don't know all the different types of services you guys offer. But um, for the most part, if I had to make a decision about which one I'm going to go with, if I had three, four, five different service areas and I had to support all of them, honestly, it's a really tough business to be in if you're doing that. It's really tough for a marketing person or for a salesperson to be managing that. Um, Personally, I would try to drive growth in one of them. Look at the trends in the marketplace. Look at which one has the most favorable um, uh, future And I would go gangbusters on that one. So that's my opinion. I don't know if you guys share the same one. But anyways, that's what I would do. What would you guys do? If you guys run a service-based business and you guys have a multitude of different service areas, what are you guys doing to drive growth in all of your service areas? Do you guys have different strategies, different approaches? Let me know. I'd love to hear them. Golden nugget number two. Hire at least two salespeople who know how to sell your services. Now, at the end of the day, it all comes down to the bottom line. And if you agree with that, then you're going to agree with the thought that you need to have a dedicated sales team to generate a consistent stream of opportunities and revenue for your service-based business. So why two salespeople as opposed to just one? Well, according to Werrilo, first, because it creates healthy internal competition and will motivate people to do their best by competing on commissions and size of pipeline. I completely agree with that. There is nothing wrong with having a little bit of internal competition to motivate people. Completely on board with that. His second reason for hiring two salespeople is having more than one salesperson will minimize your risk if one leaves the company. 
All right, I can, I can kind of buy that at one as well too. But you know, to me personally, it was actually really surprising when I began working with professional service firms many years ago, um, because so few of them actually had salespeople working for them. Most of the sales were done by the CEO who would also be responsible for delivery as well too. That's a tough spot to be in. So they experienced a lot of ups and downs, these service firms, and they had a lot of peaks, a lot of valleys, because when the work piled up, there was no time for selling. They had to deliver. And when the work was done, they needed to sell. But by that point, they were selling out of necessity, not because they wanted to prepare for the future. They had to do it in order to eat. So, you know, I, I agree with Werelo to an extent um, to the idea of having a salesperson. Two, I think, is a little bit optimistic. I think for most professional service firms, you don't necessarily have the capacity uh, to hire two salespeople. Unless you find salespeople who work 100% off commission, then at that point, great. But I don't know how likely that is because for myself, I haven't seen a lot of people who are willing to sell professional services at 100% commission. I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure they exist. I haven't seen them yet. So, you know, I like the idea of having one salesperson. I think having one salesperson is a good thing. I think having one salesperson um, can generate a lot of opportunity for you and a lot of stability and a lot of um, certainty in terms of what the future looks like for your professional service firm. Now, something too I also wanted to mention here was that, you know, you don't often see a salesperson working in a professional service firm. It's actually quite rare. And, and, and hold on a second. Let me finish saying here. In professional service firms, like in law firms or in accounting firms, you don't really see it that often. I know of actually two accounting firms that have a salesperson actively go out and sell accounting services to clients. It's incredibly rare. But if you ask the firm They'll tell you that it's extremely valuable because it creates a lot of certainty for them. Both of these guys, they open up new doors for this accounting firm and they open up brand new markets, brand new opportunities, and it just keeps them flooded with work throughout the year. So it's very cool. So hiring somebody can create a little bit of a competitive advantage for you as well too because not a lot of accounting firms, law firms are doing that. And I know typically that law and accounting, they sell by referral. I know how it works. But uh, what happens if you add a salesperson to that mix? It's, it's a little bit different. And last but certainly not least, golden nugget number three, provide a standardized service, not a customized service. Now for the small business, providing a standardized service is always better than a custom service, according to Warolo. Why is that? Well, he says it's because custom services, they're costly. From the first meeting to delivery, the whole process can take up a great deal of time. And in that time, you're not getting paid. Werla goes on to say that standardized services give your business better cash flow. Because with standardized services, you get paid up front because the client knows what to expect from the final product, which leads to positive cash flow. Also, he says it makes it easier to estimate just how long it's going to take to deliver something because you've done it before. Now, okay, I, I get what he's saying here, but I don't agree with it because I gained all my experience working in technology firms from the time I was 18 years old to now, and I've often seen these custom development firms request upfront payment for certain solutions they were building. So it's not like if you develop custom or if you build something custom, you can't ask for upfront payment. I've seen this before many, many times. And in fact, we just signed a contract a couple weeks ago where we, uh, we asked for upfront payment for developing a custom solution. So I'm not too sure where this thought comes from. Now, despite being a custom provider, we're also able to estimate just how long it'll take to deliver. In fact, you have to know. If you don't know, good luck getting a contract signed by your clients. It's not going to happen. If you can't tell them when you're going to start and when you're going to end... I don't know. How are they going to sign off on that? So what can I take away from this golden nugget? First, 
Now, I agree with Warilow in the fact that a standardized service, it really can simplify your business. I've seen personally a lot of service-based businesses create a standardized service, which makes it easier to productize and communicate to the marketplace. It's really cool when someone condenses their process down to a series of steps, days, and hours because it takes something that's very intangible and makes it tangible. I can see how long it'll take and exactly what we're going to do. I love that approach to selling services. I really do. I think it's a very cool approach to doing it, and I completely align myself with that, with that mindset, that way of thinking. But I do disagree with John Warrillow with his rationale around cash flow and time estimates in the context of custom services because I've been there and done that and we're able to get upfront cash and we know exactly how long engagements will go. So, you know, maybe one day I'll have to get John on the, on the uh, podcast and I'll have to ask him about that question. It's actually interesting. You know, instead of getting CEOs and people who've used books, maybe i got to get the author on once in a while as well, too, to get their thoughts, especially if I disagree with them. But there we have it, my friends. That is John Warrillow's Built to Sell. Short episode this week, Three Golden Nuggets. It doesn't necessarily mean the book was bad or there wasn't that much from the book. I mean, the Three Golden Nuggets I took away were probably the most prevalent, the most salient things that I took away from the book. So I don't know if you've read it yourself and if you took some different takeaways from it. If you did, let me know. I'd love to hear from it. I know for sure that our guest on Thursday took a couple golden nuggets away from this book as well, too. And I can't wait to air that episode. You guys tune in on Thursday. We have somebody who actually read Built to Sell and found that this book was incredibly influential in terms of how they developed and grew their business. So definitely tune in on Thursday. You want to listen to that episode. Also, guys, don't forget, go to CutTheCrapPodcast.com and sign up for the weekly summaries. I'm doing you guys a favor. I'm condensing these bad boys down to one page now, just one page. And I'm doing that because I got some great feedback from you guys saying that you guys just like the one pages because you like printing them up, posting them up in your lunchrooms or posting them up at your your desk or in your cubicle. So I want to get back to that. I know that you guys like it, so I'm going to bring it back down to one pages. And, uh... Uh, my apologies to those of you who haven't been receiving the emails. I made sure that I corrected that, and you guys should all have the emails in your inbox every single Monday. And uh, if you guys are still having challenges with that, please let me know. Don't hesitate to call me, email me, text me, get me through social media. Just make sure you're letting me know, all right? All right, my friends, there we have it. I hope you guys have a fantastic week, a productive week. Don't be a stranger. Reach out to me, you guys. Let me know how you're doing. Let me know how you like the podcast, or just introduce yourself to me. It's one of the benefits of running this podcast. I get a chance to interact with you guys. So definitely reach out to me and just say hi. We'd love to hear from you guys. Have yourselves an awesome, awesome week, you guys. Can't wait to get you guys back here next week. The brand new business book, brand new golden nuggets, and brand new takeaways. But don't forget about the interview on Thursday. I'll catch you guys then. Have a great week, you guys. I love you guys. When you know within yourself that there's something you want to do, and I believe that all of us were born with a purpose that all of us have something that we are supposed to do, that all of us have some goodness within us, and that goodness gives us a responsibility to manifest our greatness. Not only is it possible for you to have your dream, but it's necessary. It's necessary that you have it, that you work on it, that you develop yourself, that you go for what is yours in the universe. Every single day when you wake up, you better be spending time on your dream. You better be spending time on your You ain't got time to waste. It is a sense of urgency. It's a character of who you are. It's not the title that makes you. It's not the success that makes you. 
the character defines the success, defines the fame, and it starts right there. They're one in their thousands of hours in the training room, in the labs, and the 5 a.m. runs, and it's raining, when everyone else is sleeping. That's when it's won. The Harvard champion is a light switch that's always on. It doesn't go on and off when someone's watching. It's constant. It's how you look at something. If your name's attached to it, then you do it right. The best of your ability every single time. And the problem with some of y'all is you want somebody else to support your dream. It's yours. I don't owe you a dime. It's your dream. If you want it to happen, get your butt up and make it happen. If you want it to happen, rise and grind. But if you want a thing bad enough to go out and fight for it, to work day and night for it, to give up your time, your peace, and your sleep for it, if all that you dream and scheme is about it, and life seems useless and worthless without it, and if you gladly sweat for it and fret for it and plan for it, and lose all your terror of the opposition for it, and if you simply go after this thing that you want with all of your capacity, strength and sagacity, faith, hope, and confidence, and stern pertinacity, if neither cold poverty, famish, or gulf, sickness, or pain, a body and brain can keep you away from the thing that you want.